It's good to be home. I had a great time in the mountains with my bride, uh, but it's good to be home and return to fall. <laughs> uh, this is just amazing. I've lived here now uh, 10 years since we moved out of the mountains, and rarely do we get Septembers with uh, this kind of cool weather, so it's been absolutely amazing. And I'm also excited and thankful for Ricky, uh, who did a great job last week wrapping up our series, uh, My Life Matters. Um, I launched that thing with talking about our life matters from beginning, and then also talking about the end, uh, and then he had the task of everything in between, or as he called it, the dash last week. And I had a chance to listen to that message, and I, I know that you were blessed by it. I think you may understand this, but that's really just a prequel to the next series that we're about to step into that we're calling Family Matters. I don't think we can talk much about how we can impact those in our family if we don't believe deep down in our hearts that our lives matter. How are we going to help other people believe that if we don't, even if they live with us on a day-to-day basis? And so that's why the prequel to this series, Family Matters. One family that I read about this week uh, that needs this series of lessons is probably uh, the Lawrence Ripples family. He's 71 years of age, and not long ago he entered a bank in Kansas City, Missouri. He held up a gun to the lady who was a teller there and asked her to put some cash, all the cash she had in her, her little cubicle, in a bag. She was nervous and she was fearful, but she did exactly what he asked him to do. The bag was full, and he told her, call the police. She said, excuse me? He said, yes, please call the police, and I'm just going to wait right over here. He went and sat over in the bank's lobby, and he waited to be arrested. And sure enough, the police came in. They were expecting some kind of a, a terrible scene, but... There was this docile man who had robbed the bank with a bank, uh, bag full of money waiting there in the lobby. The policeman cuffed him, was leading him out, and he just had to ask him, why didn't you run, sir? He said, and I quote, I would rather go to jail than go back home to my wife. <laughs> now it gets better. At his sentencing, Mr. Ripples stood before the judge, and the judge sentenced him to six months house arrest. <laughs> Home confinement for six months. Now, I would recommend that judge for Supreme Court judge. Sadly, far too many people find themselves in marriages. They would be rather spending time behind bars or in a bar than with their mate. And sadly enough, they're in the church. And I just want to come at the beginning of this short series and say, your creator intended better for us. And I want to give you hope that if you're in such a marriage, God can help you change that. If you've been in a failed marriage and you don't want to find yourself in another one, God can help you. If you've never been married and you hope someday to be married, and you want God to help prepare you for not just a successful marriage, but a great marriage, God can help you. And if you're single and you plan on staying that way, I want to affirm you as a family of one, okay? Because one is a whole number. Now, it can be a lonely number at times, true. But I want to assure you it can be a life-giving number most of the time. Jesus said remaining single is a rare calling from God, and those who answered are among some of his greatest servants. He should know because he was single. Now having said all that, for the rest of us who not only want to be married, but who need to be married, God has a word I think to share today. So let's pray together and hear what he has to say for his intention of what marriage is all about. Father, we, we know in our hearts most likely because you put that knowing there that family matters. Uh, We're not the only ones who are concerned about um, exemplifying, understanding, enjoying all that goes with a family that matters. Uh, 
Western Hills Baptist Church this morning is uh, attempting to, to preach your word, attempting to give mission funds to those needs around the globe, to people who don't know Jesus yet in their own form and fashion. They're, they're breaking bread today. Uh, they're singing to you today. And so we join our hearts asking, would you help us believe that our lives matter? And even beyond that, that our family can matter to your purposes here in this kingdom. We so want that to be true, but we also, to be honest, we want to enjoy that. We want to enjoy these families that you've given us. And right now, in some of our families that have walked in these doors this morning, there's some, there's some things that are just bringing sadness and unhappiness and tension. And we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to begin to speak into those things, please. For your glory, for your sake, and ours, we ask in Jesus' name and everyone's said. If you were to travel to the most sacred sites on the earth, you'd most likely need to board a plane. Mask would be mandatory, and you'd need to allow for several weeks of travel because it would be global. You'd fly to places like Uluru Kata Tihuta National Park in Australia. It is a flat-top stone wonder that stands about 1,100 feet high in the air. It would take you in a jeep six miles to make its circumference. The Aborigines who once lived in the area consider it a very, very sacred place. Then there's Cenote Sawado in Mexico home to a sacred spring that was worshipped by the Mayans. They believe the god of rain actually visited this place once, and, and so they've called it a sacred place. Here's another. It's Mount Sinai in Egypt. That's a sacred place to us because of where God gave his commandments to Moses. It's a unique place in our hearts. Then there's also Crater Lake in Oregon. There's many others that you'd find in Google if you put this in. But you know, there's curiously one place that doesn't make the list, at least not on Google, but it certainly makes God's list. And that's your home. You heard me correctly. When we list sacred spots on the earth, or at least God lists sacred spots on the earth, he would include the sportsmen's. He would include the Barnett's. He'd include yours and yours and the Sabotas. And I'd, I'd say a lot more names, but I can't remember them. That stuns me. That a spot where our children play and our parents visit and our dog slobbers and a cat sleeps is holy. But there's nothing like it. It's sacred. And I want to remind you of that this morning and for a special purpose. If you haven't thought about the significance of your home in a while, I want to take just a few moments and remind you that it is the foundation of how God is going to impact this world for Christ. I I love that we have EEM. I I love that we've got people who are going around the globe and and doing efforts and giving their lives to helping people come to know with Christ. But it's amazing how much power there is. And I was reminded of it this week by one of our elders and his wife. We're just loving on some people next door and have a Bible study going with them out of that love that's been shown to them for years and years and years. It's how God uses relationships to win people to Jesus Christ most often. It's through our home. God decreed marriage holy, the foundation of these homes. When he says what God has joined together, don't you let anybody separate. The Apostle Paul continues this theme of holiness in the home when he says the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. The believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are. Have you read that verse in a while? How significant the holiness that you bring, husband or wife, is to your family. The Hebrew writer agrees with it when he says, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy. Boy, those words aren't used very much in a sentence. Sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and a husband. Wow! Who would have imagined that the hallways and the bedrooms and the kitchen and even your teen's closet would be seen by God as a holy place? But I want to remind you that he does. 
Now, holy is not a word that we use in everyday vocabulary and in our sentences wherever we're at at school or at the house or at the job. But it just simply means set aside for a distinct purpose, set aside for a special purpose. And I want you to notice God never says in His Word, education's holy. He never sets apart government as holy. He did consider golf, I think, was as holy. I think. I'm not sure. But we know God set apart the home for a unique purpose, at least for Jesus' followers anyway. And that's to be simply this, a living demonstration of the love of God. That's what He wants and desires for your home to be. And if it is, oh my goodness, what a resource for the kingdom of God in this world. Now now maybe your family is its own tribe of, of kids and grandkids and grandparents. I don't know. Maybe it's just you and your daughter. Maybe it's just you. It may even be for a moment an unusual assortment of sisters and stepbrothers and nieces and nephews and foster kids. But the population of the home is going to vary all over the place. But the promise of God doesn't. Which is that He can take the home and He can create some amazing holy moments in it. So you don't have to read very deep at all into God's words to see that the emphasis He places on the family is huge. Boom, right out of the bat in Genesis chapter 2. Where He writes, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, and he gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while that man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's ribs one rib and closed it up, And then the Lord God made a woman from that rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken from man. This explains why a man then leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. There's no way I can say, Monty used this phrase a moment ago, put put into words what this has meant reliving this this week. When God tells us a story of how he launches the world, it always strikes me as odd that after he created each category of creation, he makes a statement of pleasure. That's good. The light's good. The heavens are good. The sea is good. The creatures in the sea are good. But then he adds a superlative when he looks it all over and says, this is very, very good. However, when God saw Adam alone, You know what he said. Not good. Now I want you to notice God made that declaration. Adam didn't. (laughs) Not a preacher, not a psychiatrist, not a sociologist. The creator said, it is not good for man to be alone. This was never, though, in Adam's mind. (laughs) Which the more you get to know males, you understand why. But it was in God's mind. Everything began with him. And this is what gives, I want to say this, the relationship with God It's sacredness that he's talking about when he says your home is this holy place or potentially holy place. And the reason why he would say this is because the one who creates this home is holy, holy, holy. But you know what? It also makes sense that God could see Adam's inadequacy of being alone because he himself is this mysterious relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. I don't know how all that works. I just believe it does. And so God himself is relational from the beginning. And so I think it makes sense that man who's made in his image would be as well. And so it makes sense that man made in his image would would be hardwired to experience a mysterious union of his own if his creator had. And so what follows is one of the craziest parts of the Bible to me. 
It was Adam's second assignment. You know what his first one was. Take care of the garden. Manage it, grow it, harvest a crop, whatever you're supposed to do. You take care of that garden. God says, i got another assignment for you. Well, what is it today, Lord? Um, come over here and name some animals. Isn't that crazy? Come over here and name some animals. Take a seat over here, and I'm going to run them by you, and you give each one a name. But listen to when he gives the assignment, church. It's after the statement about Adam being alone. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone, and so I will make a helper just right for him. And so the Lord formed from the ground wild animals and birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Interesting. Now God confuses me here, because wouldn't it have been just as easy for him to just make him a helper? Instead of wasting the time of having all these animals come by to see if Adam might choose one, God knows what Adam needs, doesn't he? But Adam doesn't know what Adam needs. I would have loved to have been the bird on the branch right above Adam as he's picked out a comfortable spot, and all of a sudden, here comes the zoo. And you know he was excited about it and full of energy because he starts off with some incredible names. Tyrannosaurus Rex, Pterodactyl. Hippopotamus. But then you know he also kind of got tired along the way because here comes this four-legged, amazing animal, fast as the wind, beautiful flowing mane, and all he says is horse. And then he gets even more tired as he gets towards the end of that in this one syllable, uh, dog, cat, rat. Long day naming the animals. But I think it underscores the exercise that God's putting him through is for Adam's benefit, not God's. But he's got one more creature that he wants to form, and some here in this room would say he saves the best for last. The Bible says, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs, and he closed up that opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from that rib and brought her to the man. Now, that is just rich and stuff that we can mine out this morning. But the first thing I want to underscore is simply this. Never underestimate the significance of a nap. Seriously, if you've got your Bible with you this morning, put it in the margin right there. God does his best work when men are sound asleep. <laughs> Women say amen. But listen to me, seriously. The snores of a man in heaven, God says here, are so significant that I want to designate the altar of the lazy boy as our main source of Christian service. Guys, say amen. And I'm encouraging every one of you to be obedient to this today and go... Enjoy the ministry of slumber. Women say, forget that. When Adam awoke, we don't know whether he noticed a rib was missing. We don't know if there was a scar left there where God removed the rib and made the woman. But for sure, I can tell you this, he had stars in his eyes. Adam said, now, <laughs> this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh translation. This is the one for me, Lord. The old King James Version said, oh baby, she looketh good. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Did you notice that Adam didn't have to be told that Eve was the one? Because God brought her to Adam. The Heavenly Father did what fathers have been doing in weddings all over the world. He gave his daughter to her future husband saying, this is the one for you. So let me say it again. The family was and is God's idea. The family was and is God's idea. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the family a great deal, but if we went no further than this one thought, we would have enough. The family is God's idea. You see, family is a relationship of human beings who come together in a very special arrangement, 
under the protection of a holy covenant. It's begun with a partnership between a man and a woman who stand in the very presence of God and who by the power of God declare loyalty and fidelity to that relationship. This is God's idea. It's not Adam's. It's not Eve's idea. It's not the government's idea. It's not society's idea. It's not the idea of the Supreme Court. It is the idea of a supreme being, God Almighty. He's the one who gave it to us. And so Moses, who many scholars believe is the one who wrote the book of Genesis, takes this truth that he's writing and he adds a little application to it. Up until now, all we have is narrative in the Bible. It's God telling the story of how the world began and how we begin. But here, Moses interjects some application. He says, therefore, let there be, the old King James Version, leaving and cleaving. Let a man leave his mother and father and let him cleave, let him join himself to a partner, a woman he desires to choose for a mate. Now, the union he speaks of here comes from the Hebrew word davak. Say davak. Just making sure you're alive. One more time. Say davak. It just means glue. The word unite, he unites them. He glues them together. He takes the two, glues them in such a way that you can't see two anymore. Just one. Just one. A holy, unique, one-of-a-kind one. Because this is God's idea. And then he tells that one flesh to go and bear other humans. Other image bearers of the Almighty. And he calls that family, again, his idea. His plan. It's not a union that's made up because of an informal shacking up. It is not a drunken decision at a Las Vegas wedding chapel. It is not a casual experiment to see if it's going to work out. It is not a social arrangement. It is not a civil union. It is not a financial partnership. It is not a legal affiliation. It is a sacred union. Made sacred because God's involved in it. More on that in a minute. I really do want to encourage those of you here who are not married and someday hope to be, that you settle for nothing less than that type of a union. A holy union. A one man, one woman, for one lifetime union. Because that's his plan. So holy that Jesus would remember this Garden of Eden event and share God's plan for it. You know when? When he's being questioned by some lawyers who want to know if they can unglue what God's glued. Some teachers of the law come to Jesus in Matthew 19 and say, does God allow divorce? And Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? Jesus says they are no longer two, they're one. Interesting, for this reason, Jesus says. What does he mean, for this reason? For the reason that God did this? For the reason that this isn't a work of two human beings, it's a work of God? For this reason, we can dare to believe that something is going to happen when two people leave their homes and come together. A matrimonial miracle happens, I'm telling you. God takes two and turns them into one. I don't know how, but he says he does, and I believe him. I believe him. The one who turned water into wine at a wedding is the same one who takes two people and brings them together in a wedding and makes them one. We see two people up there at the altar saying their vows. God only hears one saying their vows. We see two people leaving for their honeymoon. God only sees one leaving for their honeymoon. Did you notice things have come full circle? God creates Adam, one. Then he creates Eve, you've got two. And he brings the two together to make one. That's his plan. That's his mystery. That's his miracle. And let me say it again, it is a work of God. Ministers can't do that. Parents can't do that. Only God can do that. And so please, when you go home today, regardless of the population of your home, and I'm going to say this, regardless of the happiness level of your home or the tension level of your home, when you enter for the moment, would you, would you at least think, maybe not say out loud, but maybe, maybe say it out loud, this is holy ground. 
This is holy ground. This is a sacred spot. You might even be wise to remove your hat and bend your knees because God can do holy work there, I promise. Don't take my word for it. I hope you're taking his this morning. Even if the dishes have not been done, even if the garage is a disaster, even if there's still a little bit of tension between you and your mate or you and your teen, God, whose family's first address was Eden, is still the same God who wants to move into your address and make that place holy, if you'll let him. And since your home is God's idea and since your home is God's work, I want to say one more time, God really can restore what you think has been lost. The one who blends the sunsets together, I promise you, can blend the human hearts of your family together into a harmony you can't even begin to imagine. If you'll believe that he can and begin to work what you need to do to make that true. Now, I didn't know how much time we'd have, so I'm going to go ahead and move ahead with this. It's going to be about five minutes, but see if this helps, okay? Um, A lot of you may have walked in here this morning not with a lot of hope for your family, whatever that looks like now. But I want to remind you this morning that because there is a God of hope, there's hope. If that God's in your home. Here's what the problem is. Next slide, guys. We see marriage as basically this he and she thing. We do. That he is going to satisfy me and that she is going to fulfill me. And I've seen this over and over again as Gil and I have done marriage counseling for the last three decades. That the expectations we bring to this relationship between the he and the she are just so high that really no human being could ever think about fulfilling them. She can be everything to you guys. He can be everything to you women. No human has ever been given the capacity or even the assignment of fulfilling another person. Did you hear me? No human being has been given the capacity nor the assignment of fulfilling another person. That's for God. I I know what the songs say. Oh, she completes me. Oh, he's everything I need. Now, those aren't hit songs, as you can tell by the way I'm singing them. But they're popular. And you know what God says from heaven when he hears that? Baloney. He doesn't complete you. She can fulfill you. Only I can do that. Next slide, guys. Could you see from the beginning when God created the first family to now when he's trying to, trying to get you to believe he could help your family? There's not just two people involved, a he and a she. No, there's three. There's God. Next slide, guys. And unless there's something going on here, oh, we're not on today. Unless there's something going on here between God and the he and she, there's not going to be much going on for long between just the he and she. Are you with me? I can't give away what I don't have. And so it's hugely important for the he in this relationship to have a relationship with the one who is all-loving and the she in this relationship to have a relationship with the one who is all-forgiving so that forgiveness and love can flow back between these two people. But it's got to come from a source. And that source is real. And his name is God. And he walked among us in the flesh to show us what that love and that forgiveness looks like. And I'm just telling you, Those of you here who are right now single, if you don't put a person in your life who has a relationship with that God, you're just asking for failure. I know you're asking for disappointment. I know you're asking for disillusion. But if you don't have a way of dealing with that disappointment and disillusionment with God's love and God's forgiveness, then divorce comes. How do I know? Got one. Got one. Got it back. Got one. can speak from experience. Even when you choose someone who has... God in their lives. Marriage is tough. And the reason is, there's this enemy outside of all of that who wants to see you go down, who wants to see you give into jealousy and envy and busyness and stress and, and baggage that comes from your parents. 
All that stuff that comes in a marriage, and unless there's God Almighty involved, not much of a chance. You may exist, but not flourish. And God intended for this to be a flourishing deal. Now, you can probably imagine that what I'm describing here from Genesis 2 is very, very different, again, from what's portrayed in movies and songs. Because our understanding of marriage in Christ runs counter to much of what's taught in the culture. Our culture says this, marriage is disposable. Our culture says marriage is even redefinable. God says the union of a man and a woman is His design. It's for human flourishing. It's for humans living life to the full. And it's unchangeable. It is not open for debate. It is not open for congressional vote. It is not open for the Supreme Court to give a ruling to. Now, I know society says a union is as good as there's happiness there. No, God says a marriage exists to make you holy, not happy. Our culture says a union is good as long as there's love present there. No, God says a union is good as long as God's will is there. I'm thinking about adding a line to my wedding service. I don't know how many weddings I've done. Dozens. Close to 100, maybe. Maybe over 100. I don't know. But I listened to Max share in a staff meeting one time a story about he and Denilin getting married. And he said it was, a, it was the most unusual thing. He said, I never experienced in a wedding. It was my own. He said, Mr. Cope stood up there, and the first thing he said out of his mouth was, I know you've asked me to marry you, but I can't. And he said, he just let that hang. He said, but God can. God can marry. There's been a lot of weddings I officiated, I realize now. But I haven't married anybody. The only one who marries people is God. It's his idea. <laughs> it's his plan. It's what he do. All right? He marries people. That's what he does. A man and a woman, one man, one woman for one lifetime. That's what he does. And we work best when we hang with that plan. Now, I hope this message finds your home happy. I really do. If it is, I want you to know that God can make us stronger. Because he's never done with us. Maybe your home is sinking. And I'm sorry if it is. But God can save it. Because we serve a God of the living, not a God of the dead. I know. I've experienced the wonder of him resurrecting something that we thought was dead. See, if it's just left up to you and me, we'll run out of strength. We'll run out of solutions. We'll run out of wisdom. We'll run out of patience. But if God can resurrect Jesus from the dead, what can't he resurrect in your life, friend? Isn't that what he tries to say to us through this New Testament and these apostles that he sent out to tell everybody? You think this is cool? Watch what God does in you. So I want you to know God's not giving up. God's not walked away, no matter how hopeless it feels. He's not left yet. Let me just be clear about it. He's not left yet. He's there to help if you're willing to believe he could and willing to get some help that he would. And these elders exist, are a part of this church family to help, especially with families. We're going to give some money to EEM, love that work, but you know what our primary aim is? Helping your home be the place people look to for how humans love another human being. That's what we do. That's how we roll. And that's going to be our priority because we realize that home is the biggest megaphone we have in the church. And as the home goes, so goes our testimony to the world. So, if you don't think renewal in your home and new life is possible, please remember God made the first home out of a snoring husband and a piece of bone. Don't you think he could do something with yours? And he will if you invite him in. Because marriage matters. Father, we come to you this morning and we're grateful. <sighs> we didn't have to make this up. We have a God who not only created galaxies, but created us. And wants to join us together. 
that other image bearers like we are could be birthed into this world and, and, and be a living statement of your love for us in the world. We're grateful for the cross, Lord. We never want to forget the cross. We're here this morning to, take a, to join a meal around the cross and all that it brings us. But what we really have come this morning is to, is to get on our own crosses, to make our lives available for others to that level. And, and I'm here to say, first of all, I'm not up to that yet, God. Growing into that, trying to do that, but my goodness, we need your Holy Spirit's help to love like your son loved each other. We know it's possible because you said it is. And so we're trying to take you at your word and believe that marriage matters. Our families matter. Would you please help us live that truth? If there's some here today, Father, who need some assistance, some, some of us to come around who've <laughs> made some huge mistakes and yet witness your huge victories in our families and in our marriages, please don't let them leave this building without finding me or one of our elders or one of our ministry leaders. Please help us help our families well over the next couple of weeks especially. For we ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Let's stand. Let's get ready for the supper.